Tando's Groove, released in 2002 in the genre of jazz, in the album titled Quest by the late and most beautiful Swongile Kumalo. Her namesake is on the line very briefly, but we have to say this in line with what we finished off in the previous hour. Ms. Tsepi Sotoana Mashilwana, acting CEO of the South African Maritime Safety Authority, has agreed offline to come back on the 28th of June. It is a Monday to mark Seafarers Day, but we have decided because we have got sufficient time to plan in advance of that, it would be very important in the context of transport and the economy and opportunity especially that we bring somebody who has been on the platform before, who has promised to return to the platform. I'm talking about none other than Mbawizi Razmataz, Minister Fear Something All, Figile Mbalula, Minister of Transport. We are trying to get him for the 28th of June. We have confirmation from SAMSA that they will try their level best to lobby within the diplomatic um, governance protocols to get him on. Yours is to ensure Mbalula is sitting on this seat on the 28th of June. You have more than enough time to make it happen. You are a rainmaker. You gave us Sepi so earlier today. There's no reason why you can't make it happen for Minister Mbalula, who has on his own words anyway, promised to return. And I think it will be an important conversation, in especially speaking to young people as we unpack then the value of Operations Pagisa in the extent that it is the province of the transport sector and all things to do there with. So thank you so much. Debucho, thank you so much. Tepiso, thank you in advance. Minister Mbalula, together with your communications team, and I have no doubt that Ayanda Ali Payne will ensure that you are our host for that evening or a guest for that evening because the very seat I'm sitting on, she has sat on. Anyway, Sbongile Kumalo, Executive Director for the Learning Trust, is on the line this evening to talk to us about Student Night, particularly a study titled After School Programs in South Africa. Mm-hmm-hmm. Very important. All of it. Swangila, good evening. Thanks for joining us. Good evening, Songezo. Thanks for having me. Too many young people with too much time on their hands. What happens once they leave the formal education space at basic education? How do we absorb them, their time, their skills, their imagination, their energy, and their talents that, for the mm-hmm. most part, still would not have been tapped into? Yeah, thanks, Sangez. I think the question is really how do we inspire all of that while they are in school and how do we keep them in school, keep them interested in school and um, possibly improve their marks so that after school they can access opportunities, um, you know, with tertiary and any other, you know, learnerships, apprenticeships, those kinds of opportunities and ultimately jobs, you know. Um, so I think really the question is, what are we doing for young people um, while they are in primary school, in secondary school, uh, before they even get to tertiary? I mean, we're talking about quintile one schools to quintile three schools. I mean, the report reflects on the fact that 44% of all students drop out before they reach their matric year in the mm. quintile one to three schools. And of course, that's where the masses are in your quintile ones, twos, and threes. Once you get to fours and five, that's becoming exclusive territory here. So if you like, we are losing, I'm just going to say, half of the nation's youth, even before they are in a position to say they've got their first formal 
qualification academically, which would be the matric. Mm. Clearly, the country is on a time bomb here. That's going to, if when it blasts, there'll be a lot of collateral. Yeah, definitely, Songhezo. I mean, learners in uh, Quintal, four or five schools are four times more likely to pass matric with a bachelor's pass, right, with entrance um, to tertiary institutions than learners in those Quintal 1 schools especially, the no-fee schools. And those learners in no-fee schools are twice as likely to drop out of school. So that's why we're seeing the numbers that you've just quoted now. Many of the learners in those schools actually drop out about grade 10. Um, you'll remember also when we went to school grade 8 and 9, um, the first two grades of high school, we make them choices um, of subjects to get into grade 10. A lot of the learners will lose in that transition to grade 10. Let's talk about the schooling years because, I mean, if a lot of the things that should be happening in that, what, first 12 years were happening there'd be probably less anxiety around what we will hopefully talk about the after school programs but the contact time is one aspect of the many aspects of education contact time that is sitting in class break Mm. time is just as important as being in class after school activities including sports and related extramural activities and in some way continuously being stimulated exploring talents of the young person that in this country if truth be told for the rand we spend the return is far less than that rand certainly and you know uh, over 90 percent of schools in this country are um, public schools and our education system is arranged such that Um, You know, we allocate so many resources um, to already well-resourced learners, right? The ones that go to private schools and former Model C schools. uh, And those are the learners that get a higher quality of education than the majority of the country. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, a very small percentage, I think it's 3% of South African um, high schools create more math and science distinctions than you know, 97% combined. Um, so we really, there's an injustice being done here for for majority of the learners that are in those quintile one to three schools. Um, and of course, you know, it's a, it's a lot more complicated than what these numbers uh, sound yes, like because, yes, yes. you know, the education budget, the budget of basic education is spent largely on personnel costs. So salaries are the biggest budget line item for DBE. And then, of course, we've got infrastructural backlogs, right? We've got learners that are still learning under trees. We've got learners that still don't have toilets in schools. So there's a lot of other kind of, you know, budget line items that we have to care about. So it may seem a little bit like the sports and the arts and the psychosocial support uh, are frills, right? Um, they're the nice to have. And the, the, the Department of Basic Education is concerned with increasing access to more and more kids to go to school and not necessarily the outcomes at the end, whether those kids going to school are actually passing at the level required for them to seek out and be able to access opportunities. And and that's really the problem, that if you think about a child in a former Model C school, um, you know, those schools can charge fees, they appoint more teachers, they attract qualified teachers, highly qualified teachers and principals, psychologists, 
um, sports coaches, that kind of thing. Those are all resources that learners in Quinta 1 to 3 schools mm-hmm. are not able to access. And that's where after-school programs have a big role to play. So what after-school programs are we talking about? And perhaps just to bring everybody else in the conversation, this is the program, SAFM Viewpoint, hashtag Student Night segment, Miss Swongile Kumalo. Sbongile Kumalo, yes, Executive Director for the Learning Trustees in conversation with us to talk about a study stroke report that they have compiled which refers to after-school programs and how they can reduce all of the social ills in this country by making sure and ensuring that young people's time is accounted for and by necessary implication and extension, their talents being explored. So when we talk about after-school programs, Sbongile, and I'm hoping that some of the listeners are going to participate as well, what are we talking about Hmm. um really what we're talking about is extended learning programs programs that um, take learning out of the classroom Uh, largely they take place after school so after the school bell (coughs) maybe between the hours of 2 to 6 p.m Uh a Uh lot of Uh Uh we have lost uh hello okay what I propose to do, because it really took me off guard, can we just get some calls coming through, please? This is probably as good a time to get the callers coming through. Johannesburg, 714-2006. What are your views as a South African who is as concerned as most progressive South Africans would and should be about how South Africa accounts for young people, particularly insofar as it relates post-matric? There is always this view, and I think it is the wrong view in my view, or if not wrong, a very limited view to think that everybody should move from matric into the university classroom, if not university classroom, a college classroom. Sure, there is a space for those in formal academic engagement, but frankly, not all of us are supposed to go there. It's not possible for us to all go there, nor is it in fact desirable for all of us to follow the formal education set up from basic education to secondary education, high school, into tertiary education, and by tertiary also mean your colleges. But there must be other ways, and I could think of a few myself, but I'm sure your views are probably even better researched and better predicated on experience and reason than what I would offer as a solution. So how do we engage persons, after-school programs, your thoughts after this very short break? In fact, I understand Jay from Durban is on the line, so no time for breaks. Jay, good evening. Thanks for calling. Uh, good evening, and thank you very much. This Jay, is Jay. one of my most passionate parts of my life. You know, in the years gone by, in all the provinces, we had teachers training colleges and various other colleges and schools development. I don't know what has happened. It's like wiped out of the face of this earth. And, you know, uh, I want to say, a, a woman, when she becomes a mother, there's no college or university to tell her how to bring up a child and how to bring them up in such a good way to introduce them to the world. But yet a teacher, everything is streamlined and, and she's given an opportunity to take to the class. But what we see these days, is so pathetic. Teachers are more interested in how they come to school fashionably dressed, displaying their cars, and the way they carry on in front of the students. It's absolutely absurd. If we can get the teachers streamlined and be passionate about what they have to do in class, we will produce people like you speaking very well, like our guests, and 
getting them along lines to see the value of a human being in them. Our generation, future generation, depends on our youngsters, how they are brought up from home. And the other thing, you know, I think after school learning, I should, I think every area should have after school care, a giver, a, 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 you know, tuition should be subsidized by the government to various, various areas, whatever subject it can be. So we can get the children off the streets. And the other thing, make sure, take your children with you when you're going to your congregational service. Spiritual upbringing is one of the most basic to bringing up a human being very well. Thank you very much. Much appreciated, Jane Durbin. Anonymous in KZN, before we go back to Swangile. Good evening to you and your guest, and I just want to say, you know, couldn't we do a survey in school by the tutors that uh, teaches them, uh, the students, and see all the bright, very bright students from grade 10, remove them from grade, uh, from grade 7, 8, 9, 10, then remove the bright students and send them to, uh, to tertiary quite early. So they um, become much more intelligent and before they take to drugs, because once they go to metric, I see you, since the government has made marijuana legal, everybody says marijuana is the best thing for us because the government made it legal, but it doesn't know what it does to them. They say, no, it gives them some power and they can think when they are writing the exams in metric. So I don't know that the tutors must see if they can find these uh, bright students at grade 10 remove them from school and let them go to tertiary classes because they are wasting the other two years in school. Fantastic. Much appreciated. Let's go back to our guest, Ms. Ms. Swongile Kumalo. Ma'am, I'm so sorry. There clearly was a challenge between my line and your line to the extent that you were actually on air and I just couldn't pick up. I beg your pardon for that. Swongile, perhaps you might just want to respond to Jay and comment on what Anonymous has said before you go back to the question that I had proposed, which was essentially what are the after-school programs. Jay has come up with a couple of solutions in that context. I wonder if teachers would appreciate hearing, though, what Jay I had to say in relation to that. But again, indeed, let me not take too much time away. Swangile, respond please to Jay, <laughs> then to Anonymous, and then respond to my initial question. I beg your pardon for the cut earlier. Thanks, Swangile. So I don't think I heard uh, all of the comments from your second caller. Um, but just about the first caller, I really like that, that what they bring up is the importance of parental involvement. Um, and I think, you know, uh, it came up so, um, you know, very um, quite important actually last year um, when during COVID when we were all in lockdown and suddenly parents were responsible for educating their kids. But I think what we are saying about after school programs are that, you know, they are a community solution. And I think um, for parents to not feel that they are alone in educating their kids, um, there's a support of community members who have started these after school programs. I was just telling, telling you earlier uh, that after school programs exist across four pillars. They can provide academic support, but they could also provide arts and culture activities, sports and recreation activities, and psychosocial support to learners. Um, and I really think it's important that we um, operate in the education system as almost an ecosystem of sorts, where there's a role for each of each one of us to play in addition to teachers. It's um, it, 
it's it's not realistic to expect that teachers can do all the education in schools, but it also has to happen at home and it has to happen in communities as well. Um, and after school programs have existed for the longest time. I mean, I don't know if you remember when we were in school, um, Songye, so that there used to be drama in our communities. There used to be drum majorates. Um, there used to be soccer practice that was not provided necessarily by our, by our school but by community members. So I really think um, it needs to be seen as an ecosystem of support around children. That's a fair point that you make, and I think I'm going to move away from the formal setup, if you like, of the responsibilities of those charged legally and otherwise to ensure that children are accounted for in terms of welfare, time, and development. But there's a lot that should be happening at the community level that for whatever reason or climate, communities have literally outsourced completely to the establishment, and the establishment might be any formal structure. But there's still good ground and space for communities to take, to take charge of their communities. And by communities in this instance, I mean it's people, people in this context, young people. I do appreciate the fact that it's not happening probably as much as it should or at least could. Mm. Yeah, and and my sense is that it's happening a lot more frequently than what we realize. Um, I mean, our experience is that especially young people, I mean, I did a a simple calculation last year that showed us that the organizations that we support are started and led uh, by young people. Up up to 70% of the organizations that we support are led and started by young people. Um, so I think young people still feel that they have agency, that they still feel that they can contribute um, to solving their community challenges. And they've done it in this sort of way uh, of supporting other young people in their communities. Another way that I really think after school programs make a difference, Songye, so is they attract even you know tutors that are university students um, into their employ, offering you know a kind of first job for learners or, or students that may be in their first, second, or third year uh, by tutoring others. Um, so it really it goes beyond offering a service. It, it, it essentially has a dual beneficiary, it's an right? Investment. The young person in school and the young person that may be providing the tutoring service. Final question, because we do not have enough time. How do we galvanize the resources that are available? Resources insofar as it relates to, I mean, you just mentioned it, young people who have the time, who have the capacity, young people who are in tertiary setups or are actually in the formal economy who nonetheless go back to these communities where there's a doth, if you like, of these after-school programs. How do we account for persons who are retired but who are still strong and fit enough to contribute to society and those persons who've got the skills but are not employed still because of what they do know and could do contribute. I mean, we're talking about three critical masses here. The elderly who are still able to contribute but don't wish to do so because they've been doing it for 30 years. Those, especially in a country like South Africa, there are many communities with unemployed persons who could still contribute their time and skills, even though it's not going to yield a return because it's not employment. And those who are there, who are employed, who can make a contribution, these three critical masses of people to engage this one critical mass of people, those who are after-school leavers, young people whose time can be better managed to use for better output from that community? 
And what I'd like to do, Song, is uh, speak to two levels of resources. I mean, on the first level, you're talking human resources, right? I've spoken to you about just how many young people are starting and running off programs. I think there's still a role to play for um, the elderly or older people within our communities, but I think it's also no secret that young people respond and are more open um, in their engagements and interactions with other younger people, right, that they can relate um, better to. So I think really seeing a 21-year-old providing a tutoring service uh, to a 17-year-old, there's a, a kind of strong relationship that can develop there. And after-school programs provide that kind of opportunity for alternative role modeling, right, beyond the teachers, beyond the parents, beyond the, the older community members. And that's where I think it makes a real difference. But secondly, I, I think there's a question of financial resources, right? And after-school programs have largely been funded through philanthropy and corporate social investment. Um, and these are parts of money that, of course, are, are big, um, but are not large enough to fund um, you know, uh, after school programs at the level that we need them to exist in, in our education ecosystem in all provinces, you know. So I really think what we are trying to do with the investment case is really make a case for other kinds of funders, um, making a case to individuals that can invest in after school programs in their neighborhoods, where they come from, high net worth or even high income earners. Um, you know, if you come from Soweto, for instance, if you can go plow back at the Soweto Basketball Academy, for instance, for, for young people that go through that end up, um, after school program. But I also think on another level is, you know, big Funding money beyond just foundations, maybe even, um, you know, uh, donor agencies, international agencies, and even our government. So really the investment case is to say, where can we find the financial resources adequate to make sure that yeah. we can scale off the school programs? That's a million-dollar question, and I suppose. And if there was a million dollars, we wouldn't have to ask that question. Thank you so much, Ms. Swongile Kumalo, Executive Director at the Learning Trust engaging us on a study titled After School Programs in the Country. Lots and lots of pondering for this nation to do and beyond that, even more action. Good night, everybody. Chat next week, 2134.